This is Philosophy versus Improv, where two sages try to teach each other a thing or two, and maybe you, the audience, get something out of it as well. I'm Mark Linsmeyer, a philosophy lawgiver, today seeking the laws of improv. And I am Bill Arnett, an improv lawbreaker, seeking to be reformed at the reform school that is philosophy. How you been, Bill? I've been okay. I've been okay. Is reform school still a thing? I think so. <laughs> it still exists. I feel like it should be one of those things you could just check yourself in for a night whenever you want. I mean, probably there are such things. Yeah. Like a hotel with extra benefits. I want to be reformed. I'm just saying. Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, I felt like, oh, if you commit a crime, the judge is like, go to jail or join the army. That would be an option. And maybe that was at one point. I had a friend in grade school who I guess, I don't know if he did anything specific, but he got hustled off to military school and I did not see him again until high school. Okay. It did happen in the Chicago suburbs. Did it have an effect on him? You know, I wasn't really close friends with him after that, so I don't know. And he didn't strike me as a as a giant degenerate before that, but, you know, maybe compared to some of my other friends, a little more, a little more rambunctious. We would do the, the phony phone calls from his house, the training ground of improv, if you do it right. Yes. I mean, it's a very high-pressure situation. Like, can you even deliver the lines that you've prepared Without laughing, yeah. You know, I will say, and this is something that works in the phony phone caller's favor, as well as the improviser's favor, is that the audience, either they are going into that situation with expectations, that the phone call is legit, that the show will be entertaining and will be good, and you can get away with some pretty shoddy prank phone call <laughs> material uh, and still still get a reaction. But yes, you still got to deliver. You still got to show up and deliver. Did you have the guts in committing phony phone calls to stick it out and actually witness their reaction? Or would you just hang up as soon as, and and laugh hysterically as soon as the the goods were delivered? My life, there were two spates of prank phone calls. Anyway, again, this is is a lost art with cell phones. It's not coming back. It's gone. And any good prankers are now just being trolls. But there was a spate in a young age in like junior high and that was mostly us laughing at the one kid who was willing to do it. And then in college, like freshman dorm, calling people that we knew from high school and pranking them hmm. because we knew that with, well, well, if all else, you know, if something goes south, it's like, dude, it's me. We went to high school together. Gotcha. Gotcha. Hey, welcome to college, man. Isn't this awesome? Yeah. It, you know, so those are the two spates of it. And definitely in the college era, we really let those things go pretty long. And that was, Pretty ridiculous and fun. Hmm. I never, I never returned to it. As a, <laughs> I grew out as of a, it, as I did a, not. As a college person, I recall it being. You know, this is speaking against it being a way to practice improvisation with an audience. When answering machines were introduced, I recall that I was fifth grade. I don't know something like that, and I had so much fun delivering. <laughs> <laughs> just tirades on people's answering machines. We figured out that some friend that I had who had moved away down the street, but still in town in maybe fourth grade that his family had an answer machine. And we left a lot of messages on that. And I think eventually it did come back to, you know, one of my friends like said my name or something like that. And so that, you know, he called me up and like, what, what, what are you doing there? Yeah. You know, our favorite college one was to say that, and again, this is like, within the first week of freshman year to be like, this is uh, Sergeant so-and-so with the ROTC. You never showed up for your, your intake ah. thing. You're in, you're in big trouble. 
And usually it's like, what? No, I never, but we had one person who was like, oh my God, no, no, I told him, I told him I, I didn't want to do it. I, like someone who had gone through the process of going to ROTC, but then had backed out at a legitimate time. So when they heard, when they got that call, they were pretty freaked out. <laughs> well, it sounds like we should try that right now. Let's, let's fire up the zoo. No, we don't have that technology. I'm sorry, uh, <laughs> folks. We cannot have unwitting callers participate mm-hmm. in improv. Or weeding callers, for that matter. There's no no spontaneity as to who will be a guest on the show. Well, one thing we can do, and this is, I had something planned, but this is something kind of similar. And, we, and stop me if we've talked about this. I don't have my our, our little topic spreadsheet up here, but this whole notion of customer service nightmares, does that sound familiar? Or maybe it was, no. this is season two. Let's say not. We, we can revisit, we can revisit. <laughs> but I think what's fun, and again, as you might know, and some of the listeners might have gathered, but I have a bit of an irreverent streak. So what I really enjoy is that when we find, and there's, I'm sure there will be a philosophy thing kicking around in here. When you find something that works yet goes against tradition or goes against the um, dogma or, or goes against standards and practices, yet it works in a, you know, in the laboratory out in the field. I really enjoy those, those moments, the things that tend to buck common understanding. You know what I'm saying, right? Give me a context. Let's do one, and then we can. Then I'll ask you how you feel that this contradicts the typical standards of practices. I'd like to return this this parrot. Oh, hey, sir! Uh, it's nice to see you. This is the return desk. You're in the right place. What can I do for you? Well, it's this parrot that you sold me not half an hour ago. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, we did sell that parrot. We did sell that parrot. Uh, yeah, I want to return this. You want to return it? You just bought it. You just bought the thing. You want to return it? The thing is, it is not. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I can go through with this. This is this is hard for me to to talk about. It's not. I thought it was an actual parrot, but it, clearly it is not animate. Yeah, it's, 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 I'm seeing this now. This, we do have a line of kind of mock parrots and animals that you would put in an enclosure with another animal to keep that animal company. And I think that's what you bought, perhaps thinking it was a real parrot. But I would love to process this return. No problem. Okay. Great. Okay. <laughs> Here's a, what do you, ha- oh, you have the receipt? Uh, it, yeah, I have the receipt. All right. I have, uh, here's my credit card. If you want to just, uh, Put it, put it back on that and uh, pull it up on the computer here. Do, 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 do. Here we are. I found the transaction. We'll be able to process this. No problem. Okay, great. Uh, can you print me out a receipt for that? Hmm? Can you print me out a receipt that shows that, uh, you know, it's going back on my card? Oh, you do want to go through with the return. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes. I don't have a use for a parrot that is not. Okay, this will not be a difficult return to process. It's very straightforward. You've got your receipt. You've got the card you charged it on. I remember you 30 minutes ago, so this will not be difficult to process. All right, great. So paperwork. Would you like me to go ahead and forward with the process? Yes, please. All right, I will begin processing your return here. Questionnaire. You are a customer at this store. Yes, I saw you. I mean, this questionnaire is going to be so easy to do. It's just a few little things that we like to do. I, I was at least this time a, a, a customer at this store. I mean, depending on how this goes, whether this I will, will take no time at all. This will be super easy. Return customer. This will be so easy. 
All right. Hmm? Would you like to go through with the return questionnaire? Are you... Okay, yes, sure. Right. Okay, question number one. You are a returning customer. Okay. Uh, dissatisfaction with the product. You would say it was very dissatisfied, somewhat dissatisfied, neutral, content, very content. Well, uh, dissatisfied. I, I mean, it was not what I thought it was. Perhaps uh-huh. I just misunderstood. Mm-hmm. It seems like a very... Uh, Hard thing to get wrong. You know, j- just, just dissatisfied. So just one answer is fine. I don't have room to write all that. It's just going to take more time. I mean, if you want to explain all that, we can, but you probably want to get in and out of here. So let's just keep this. Let's just keep it on track here, huh? Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. And this is the card you used here? Yes. Great. I'm just going to run this through the machine. On the receipt. Let me just run this. I'll just run this through the machine and it'll come up as the card you, 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 you used. Would you like me to run? Which hmm? yeah is the yeah you have to move your hands. You have to put your put the card. What do you, what do you, you have to type the number in? You have to scan it. What do you have to do there? I know exactly what I have to do. All right, please let's uh, go ahead with that. Okay, I'm sorry if you're in a hurry. Are you? Uh, I mean, there is a line okay. here. I will go ahead and process the return on your card. All right, swipe. There you go. Ah, there it is. It's populated all the. It's populated all the information on my screen. Boy, this is going to be the easiest return you've ever had. I promise you. This is so easy. Painless. All the information is already populated my screen. All I need to do is press the return key. Right, do, you want, do you want me to do it? I no, mean, I, sir, it, okay. please. All right. I, would you like me to press the return? No, no, no. Just so you know, the return will then be finalized at that point. That sounds great. So I, I, I just really... want you to know you would like that to happen. Okay. Like I said, this is an easy one. This is an easy one. Very easy return. I'll go ahead and press. It doesn't the is it? Key. It's, it seems mm-hmm. like maybe it's not that easy because it's not done. Well, I just have to press the return key. What's hard about that? Okay, please. I mean, what, is that is that difficult? Do you, difficult? Need a, do you need a supervisor <laughs> to press the return key? Maybe you could just press the return key if that is if that's what's required. I can press the return key. Okay. All right. Well, I'd like to see you press the return key. I don't know that you can press return key. I've pressed any number of keys well, prior to this one. The return key is no different than all these other keys. I, well, okay. Show me with your finger pressing the return You're key. You're being condescending. You're being a little condescending right now. And I'm just doing my job. Yeah. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm doing my job right now. Okay. Well, I'd like to get back to mine. So maybe let's uh, go Let forward go with press, this. Press the re- I'll press it right. Here we are. Boom. There we go. Return key is pressed. All right. Computer is doing its work. It's doing its thinking. Charged back. Could take one to three business days for that recharge to appear. That's no fine. That's Let fine. me get your receipt, and I will need your signature. Okay. Where would you like me to sign? On the. Hmm. Do you have a on the receipt? Let me get the receipt printed out. Yeah, this is an easy one. All you got to do is sign the receipt. Once it prints out, all I have to do is sign it. Very easy. Very painless. All right. Go ahead and. It's, it doesn't seem like it's coming out of the printer. Yeah, I need. To, I don't want need to tell it to print. I need to tell. Oh, it to okay, print. okay. Well, let's. Uh, now this let's will be the that. last time. I can back out now if there's not a return. I you think you make. already said if you hit the return key, then it is finalized. So it's already finalized. Fair enough. Let's Fair just enough. do the, the last customer step. is always right. So I'll go ahead and print yeah. the receipt. Here we go. All right, should be printed. It seems now. like the processes here are a little less than efficient. What do you this, mean? Uh, I mean, did I ask you? Did I did I push back at all? Did I ask any questions about things? Did I tell you it was just store credit? 
No, no. All right. All right. I guess you're this just This is doing, an amazing return I guess you're process. just doing uh it's uh just Best Buy's problem, Best Buy's issue. Uh, Are you angry at me for being thorough with your money? I'm protecting you, sir. <sighs> Should I just come back when there's somebody else working? Is that when do you get off work here? When when are you when are you not working? Your receipt is finished printing. I just need you to okay. sign them up. I'll, and then you, you yep. can go. Yep, yep. Then you, you can leave. Yep. Once you uh Oh my gosh, some people. Right, I'm sorry, sir. I'm sorry. But this was painless. This was this was so straightforward. I did not push back. I didn't say, you know, oh, is this the card you used? Well, we don't return. Did I inspect did I inspect the parent for damages? Did I ask for the original packaging? I'm just wondering why I didn't do any of those things, all right? Why? I didn't do any of those things. I mean, yes, I'm I'm startled in fact by your lack of curiosity as to why I would think one could f- first off buy a regular parent at Best Buy. It seems unlikely. Uh second, how I did not notice that this parrot was not actually animate in in an ordinary living way. So your lack of curiosity is uh really quite quite unbelievable. We don't ask questions, all right? And this transaction has taken 10 minutes of my life and yours. Gone. Gone. Wow. I got to reveal here, I'm not actually a, a customer. I'm, I, I'm a consultant. Here's my ID. I go around to the various Best Buys. I, I act as a customer to see how the customer service was going. And uh, I, I think you need a little, I think you need a little work. So I'm going to be uh, talking to your supervisor, talking to, to Don about this. You know, this was a really long transaction. If this is how long, is this about how long most of your transactions go? I mean, I can look at the logs. No, no, no I, who's the one going on this whole speech about their secret identity and being incognito and being deceptive? Oh, I'm talking before being this decept- point. Deceptive practices. You came in a liar and you will leave disgraced. All right, we'll, 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 we'll see about that. Yeah, we'll stop right All there. Right. We'll stop right there. All right. Customer service nightmare. So I, I tried to actually, for most of this, play this as I actually would as a real customer, which Perfect. is, there's no way I'm going to push back on anything. No matter how much bullshit, like I will just stand there for the most part and take it and, uh, you know, grumble after the fact, but the cowardice in the face of actual human, action uh, you know a, a human <laughs> presence there supposedly doing especially supposedly doing their job knows no bounds you know if there's not a situation in which if there's a tipping situation fine only 10% for you only nothing for you but mm-hmm, nothing mm-hmm. that would involve me having to actually express displeasure well i thought as the as an improviser you might recognize that and i thought you did and start questioning or pushing back or at least uh, uh, you know, again, it, it doesn't require violence or threats to push back at all. We can just it, gentle nudges in character. We can certainly do. We can certainly do. Now, do you have any? Oh, go ahead. What you well, got? do you think that the character, the turnaround mm-hmm. that I'm really an inspector, that, do you think that was true? I don't know. That was almost like the start of a new scene. That was like a, a change in tempo, a change in pace. It's not broken. It's not by any stretch of the imagination wrong. However, we've got a whole brand new kettle of fish here. It's something that has recontextualized the entire transaction. I suppose it depends if your supervisor's name is actually Don. 
That was a little bit of detail there that I guess would be your customer, no matter how wily. There have been times, so I remember the first time we bought a house, mm-hmm. and I didn't really understand how agents worked. You know, I thought maybe if you didn't use an agent, you could save money. So I had the seller's agent show me the house. So they became, I forget what the name of it was, but like when you're not a realtor representing one or the other, you are a supposedly neutral party, but you're still actually getting paid by the seller. Sure. So in other words, it's the worst situation to be in because you lose just as much money, but this person is not your advocate. Correct. And so I tried to pull, you know, as is the custom, I think since we're doing this arrangement that, you know, you should cut this much off, you know, you're basically as realtor making twice as much money. So I think you should give me that much in discount as is the custom. Like I pretended like I knew, and this was in a letter of like an offer letter. (laughs) So of course that is totally unconvincing because they actually know what they're doing. And in fact, if you had an agent, they wouldn't get any extra money. They just split the take with the seller's agent. Right, exactly. No, I understood that much. (laughs) Right. I didn't understand that much until it was too late. Let me say that. Yeah. But for anyone out there listening, however many agents they are, the commission is still the same. They just split it up amongst themselves. So what do you think in that scene? Was I doing anything? Were we doing anything that you felt broke some of the traditional improv rules or heuristics or however it is you want to call them? Um, I mean, it seemed like other than you told me beforehand that we were going to be doing this. Yes. So is that's the broken rule? <laughs> well, no, that's not the broken rule. It was full of questions. Do you have this? Do you have that? Why aren't you doing that? Why aren't you doing this? All these things that might set off the early warning tripwires in many of your run-of-the-mill improvers. All right. So your mistake then was, was assuming that I remembered enough of our past lessons <laughs> to know that supposedly, because I think you actually only bring up as a straw man, like asking questions. A lot of improvers think that's wrong, but it's okay actually to ask questions. I think there was a lesson asking questions like that. So I did not learn the lesson that it is the standard to not ask questions that that too much puts the burden. In fact, from my podcasting experience, asking questions seems like it's the whole game. Like that's how you get the other person actually talking to you. Yeah. This may have been more of my, again, building straw men just to knock them down. But I've done that in the past. Oh boy. Not to get on the soapbox a little bit, but I think a lot of people complain about improv because it looks like improv. Uh, if that makes sense. Oh, into an improv show. How was it? Well, it was an improv show. Well, if we're going to make improv not look like improv, we have to play by different rules. Rock and roll sounds like rock and roll because of, well, it's electric guitar. I'm using certain tunings. I'm using certain strumming techniques to get that sound. If we want improv to sound differently, it's not about changing the content of the scenes. It's about changing the techniques we use to create the scenes. Sounds reasonable. So do you think, you know, something could really be considered an, an improv law if it is not actually enforced? Okay. If, if it is merely referenced that you have this sort of idea of the ghost of something that is often taught, but it clearly has no normative force in the way you do improv. You are just fine asking questions all the time. Or do you feel like actually you're very much aware of that law and the way that you break the law with the consciousness of the law, that actually shows that there is a law that you're playing with, you know, that it provides some structure, even if you're breaking it. Sure. One thing I think with any kind of laws or traditional or things is like, you can not believe in a law or not like it as much as you want. But if everyone else believes in it, then you're a lawbreaker, you know? Sure. So sometimes, especially if we have guests on, I find myself kind of qualifying things a little bit more than I would with you because I'm not quite sure how conservative, 
how uh, dogmatic hmm. this other improviser might be or the things that they've been exposed to. And before we get all heretical, I want to try to get an idea of how. Yes. And that's an interesting dynamic that I would like to witness sometime where someone's like, that Bill, he's a loose cannon improvising. I can't believe that you did that. That was a terrible violation of our sacred traditions. I've never heard any guests. I'm sure most of it, anything like I think that. most of it is, is me trying to buttress my ego. Let me just be perfectly clear with that. And I think we all need to have an identity for ourselves or we fall into a pit of depression and insanity. So I think, <laughs> I mean, I guess most of our listeners don't pay for the after talk and the after talk, the post game is usually just the guest saying, Oh my God, you know, Mark, I knew you were supposed to be a bad improviser, but Bill, I'm really surprised mm-hmm. at the three laws. My improv will not harm any people. My improv will obey the people unless that would involve harming. And there's one other law of improv from the sacred Asimov improv school. Yeah. Well, you know what? That's totally what happens in the after talk. If that means more people will register for the after talk. <laughs> yes, it's, it's very spirited. Blood yes. often is shed and tears, uh, tears flow freely. And frankly, surprised that we meet up again to do another one. <laughs> well, it's usually you and I against the guests. So, I mean, it is a, a comfort, you know, that we've had some sort of rapprochement. I know mm-hmm. that's probably mm-hmm. not actually a French word after our many bloody battles. We're hardened in a way that when guests come in, they just have those open psychological wounds that are just ready to be picked at. It would take some repeat appearances to make the spots less sore. Show me your vulnerabilities and I will hand them to you so hard. Hey, let's stop for a little sponsor talking. Totes Recall is a podcast for movie likers. Join four friends and improvisers as they review a nostalgic movie twice. First, based off their memories of it, and second, after having just watched it. You'd be surprised how much your memory can deceive you. Join hosts Dan, Molly, also Dan, and Beth as they revisit some of the best and worst movies ever made. There are bits, bets, exceptional character impressions, and hopeful speculation that surely this film from decades ago will pass the Bechdel-Wallace test. Listeners have said the show is like spending time with friends, funny and insightful, and freaking magic. Play along with your own bets and come away with movie facts, answers to burning questions, and an entirely new perspective. Listen free to Totes Recall wherever you listen to podcasts or at totesrecall.com. Now, this thing about laws, is this going towards the lesson, the philosophy lesson? I had hoped so, but I have <laughs> almost given up to have something to guide us at all in the second half of our discussion here. It would be nice to, we've talked about traditions a lot and about conventions, but Actual laws mm-hmm. enforced. What do you think the connection is between those things and mere tradition, mere convention? Between enforced laws and tradition? Or Yes. We have an idea mm-hmm. that something is a law because whoever the lawmaker is put it on the books. The king uttered the words. The Congress passed the thing. The, yeah. the, the governor, what, whatever the thing is. But can they just do anything they want? How is it actually supposed to relate? How does it relate to the traditions, standards, morality, whatever there is there before the specific law was passed? You know, I'd like to think common law might be something that comes up here. And, I, and again, I don't know what the philosophical perspective of common law is, but it feels like it is the unwritten, unspoken set of rules that everybody just kind of finds themselves in. The idea that, you know, everyone, well, Monopoly is not a very good board game. Let's, let's be honest. But 
you go to any household in America, there's going to be a different set of house rules for monopoly that you may not realize walking into this other situation. Now, you've got to clarify, are we playing according to Hoyle or are we putting all the money in the free parking? Are we, can we stay in jail as long as we want? You know, those kinds of things. And if it were really irritating to people, when you violate that mere social convention, then you could see some sort of enforcement mechanism. If, if only, how dare you play with that fucking house rule from, <laughs> from your kind of people in our house. We will not put up with that. The thimble is supreme house rule. That is bullshit. You get out of my house right now. I think what we're especially experiencing now is a morphing, an altering of our cultural norms and rules. If we want to just, for lack of a better word, Me Too, BLM, LGBTQ, what all that encompasses. And it is, at the end of the day, noble, I believe, at the final tally. However, getting to that final tally has included changing what foul language is in culture. And we remember when you couldn't say ass on television. Mm -hmm. That was a bad word. You could not say that on television. Now, good luck escaping (laughs) all of the words of our youth that were illegal are now far more common. Yet, things that in our youth were not necessarily as bad, certainly some racial slurs and just language around race or culture or certainly derogatory homosexual phrases are now, I would say, you would get far more trouble if my kid came home and they're like, well... He said ass, but then he followed it up with something I will not repeat, a derogatory phrase towards a fellow student. And I feel like, you know, and again, none of that's written down. I don't think any law books ever existed for those things. Maybe standards and practices at a TV network. Sure. And you get fined by someone, right? It's not the TV network that finds you. It is FCC, FCC or yeah. whomever. Yeah. You could get millions of dollars. Howard Stern was sued for at some yes. point, I believe. Is it that the crime never existed until now? Or that it was always a crime to use ethnic slurs and sexual orientation slurs, and then we only cared about it until now? Or was it not a crime in a weird in, in a strange way? I think you're right that properly speaking, you should feel like when a new law is passed that it is something that you're just encoding that people already believe anyway. Sure. I don't people steal my stuff. Yeah. If we had thought of it before, we would have embraced like that's sort of the definition of a good law. The good the law could be like, here's a new way to do bail or whatever. If cash bail, I don't know enough about the cash bail issue to say I know it's supposed to be bad. So it's not just like this was already a practice. Like this can be an innovation. And I'm also thinking about the decriminalization of the stuff that if you know it this law that's on the books no longer reflects what people actually think the law should be. So therefore, if we can freaking get anything done, which is a good question, mm-hmm. given the difficulty of changing laws, which is by design often, then we rejoice. So do we want to say there's something that the law is supposed to match, right? It's supposed to match current mores or something like that. And we regard it as a bad law or sometimes you feel like maybe you might say, well, that can't actually be the law. If you read the text of the law and there comes out with a result, oh, and it's okay to, if somebody says the word that you object to, to murder them. 
then probably a judge is going to say, no, you know, I don't think that actually is what the legislators imagined. Even if they did, that's not the law. There's contradictions in the body of law. We're going to pave that over. We're going to say it was never actually the law. Anybody that was incarcerated according to it should be freed immediately because this is bullshit. Yeah. A couple things. A, certainly marijuana has gone from Mm -hmm. the gateway to crime and harder drugs to being just another alcohol. And I've already had to explain to my children what the Cold War was like. And like, so if they watch a movie or a TV show that references the Soviet Union, I've got like, well, so there's this thing called the Cold War. Everybody had their missiles aimed at each other. Okay. Oh, okay. That makes sense. You know, or a spy movie or something. You know, I got to explain all that. Now I have to explain what a stoner was and stoner culture. And like, you couldn't go into a copy store and get copies made without interacting with a stoner, you know, and like, oh boy, because now that everybody's a stoner or that being a stoner is not a counterculture thing anymore. So I think culture moves faster than law moves. And it's easier to change culture and end up with these mismatches. Either the culture has an unwritten law that it's not enshrined, or the culture has moved away from a past law that was already the situation of marijuana. I guess when you have a situation where you have an old law that the culture has moved away from, like marijuana, you get rampant violation. And people not caring. (laughs) Right. And I guess if it's not enforced, do you want to say it actually is a law, even if it's on the books? Yeah. Right. There's always those yeah classic, oh, you can't spit on the sidewalk from, you know, 1804. There's there's those that kind of outliers. But then I guess the situation where the culture moves faster than the legal system moves, you end up with court of public opinion. And in our mind, it's that whole double-edged sword of street justice and, and vigilanteism and whatnot. And we love it when justice is served, however it gets served. But we are, I think, also understand that there is something called injustice and that the powers that be are not the only ones capable of acting unjustly and that it's a bit of a double-edged sword, I guess, when culture moves faster than the laws move. So I'm trying to think of a way to represent this, to, to explore <laughs> this through another scene. In terms of like my coming up with some rules that I know from our past lessons that I should break, I'm feeling like the ones that are coming to mind, at least, they were good rules. They were rules for a reason. (laughs) I already break them accidentally too often anyway to break them on purpose. So for instance, like your character should have some consistent motivation, should care, and that it should not just bizarrely change for no reason. Those are great rules. Those are immutable. Those are... Yeah, so I feel like if I just started a scene right now, like, I'm going to break that rule. Like, well, first people would not even notice because they're like, Mark, you're a terrible improviser anyway, and you always do this. So what is your... Actually, I, I think usually I have enough of an idea that I at least try to carry through. But perhaps there's a different rule, or do you want to set up another scene to continue instructing me along these lines? A couple things. A, every plot twist in all your favorite movies are essentially giant denials of your assumptions. You thought this was going this way. Ha ha, it isn't. Now, it's interesting that some plot twists stick with us and become iconic plot twists in culture. You know, uh, usual suspects. That's like an epic plot twist. I know that movies got kind of a dinged in recent history for maybe it doesn't hold up as well and, and repeat watchings. But the first time I saw that, I was blown away by that plot twist. Don't no, give it no away. Spoilers. Don't no spoilers. spoil it. So that's one thing. The other thing, Mark, to pick up what we've been working on, 
maybe the opportunity to break rules or break laws or whatnot will occur mid-scene. And maybe if we dive in with no assumptions and just play the reality, play the simple reality. So we all have something to talk about. It's, it's always easy to just, you know, I want to say kill time, but just live in the simple reality. And then in that simple reality, because it's so generally easy to maintain, the larger portion of your brain can then be looking or open to inspiration. Does that make sense? Sure. So I think we should do another customer service nightmare. I'll be returning something. And again, all you need to do is do this simple thing. And maybe, in fact, I can guarantee something will occur to you as we go along. I put my money on it and then we can tear each other apart in the post game for the listeners. (laughs) All right. I forget the first time. Did we really need those instructions hidden from the audience beforehand or did we put them afterward? We forgot to actually say to tell our editor, to tell Tyler to put that in there. Do you need, you don't need more instructions, do you? I don't think so. No. What I was trying to ascertain is whether the game is given away to the listener already. Kind of, sort of. It kind of, sort of is. And if you will notice from my performance, I had one very specific way that I was frustrating your need. Say yes, do no is what my person was all about. And I've met that person in life and it's super annoying. So I'm sorry, sir. Uh, I was in here. Uh, my family and I ate at the restaurant uh, last night and I just, we were in a bit of a hurry to get the kids to bed. I'm just going to sign the check. And now I see we actually got double charged for a number of, of the menu items. And I just wanted to, I don't know if we can get those taken off or. Let, let me, let me see the receipt there. Sure. There you are. So you didn't order two of the, of the tortellini? No, no, there were, there were four people in my family. And as you can see, the two kids meals came up singly, grilled cheese and the butter mm-hmm, noodles. Mm-hmm, but then mm-hmm. there's two tortellinis, two steaks. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a lot, that's a lot of food. Four glasses of wine and then four desserts. And that's just clearly they got put in their double. So, Well, I mean, it says here's one and here's another one. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So it says that there were more of you or you, you ate that much. We didn't get served that much food. That's what I'm saying. Is like what came out of the kitchen was four meals, two kids meals, two, two adult meals. And I just signed the bill without looking. And that's my, that's my fault. That's my mistake. But it's when we got but it's home. on the receipt. The receipt shows what transacted. And I'm saying that the receipt is there's an error. There's an error on the receipt. Receipts don't just have errors. I mean, a human being brought you this much food. No, we and, didn't get and, that much food and, and put this on the receipt. Oh, see, what you don't understand is that it's on the receipt that you did get that much food. So that's what happened. Well, look, I know how receipts work. I understand how, how, how that's receipts the record work. of the past. Well, look, here, I mean, sir, if, look, look, I, I took uh, a picture. Memories, took a, you, you took a picture. Yeah, of our family going out. We haven't been out, you know, with COVID going on. We don't get out very much. So we finally went out. A wonderful, everything, the food was delicious. Let me just say the food was delicious. And this was our favorite place. So we took a picture. So the, it was so ni- the food was so nice, you ordered it twice. No, you ordered it once. And here, and you received my phone it. here. This is the, the Baxter family here at Regino's. And there you can see holding it up. This is us guys, sitting around. You guys look kind of really, really hungry there. I can see why you ordered two steaks and two tortellinis and four glasses. Did you drive home? <laughs> I only After had a glass four, of wine. four glasses of wine. I had one glass of wine. My wife and I each had a, one glass of wine. That's a lot of wine. Look, I just, come on now. Were you giving Honestly, the kids I, some of the wine? No. Did they each no, get a steak in addition to their kids' meals? No, of course not. Look, I just. How did you eat all this food with just the we, four of We you? didn't eat it all. I don't know why this is so difficult. 
we didn't eat all that food. And I mean, look, well, that's, this is so, that's be a just wasteful. If you just, if you got all that food and you didn't eat it, we didn't get it. Are you sure you just didn't see it? Just didn't see a 14 ounce ribeye. So, just didn't okay. see that on the table. Sometimes I will ask myself, I got to go wash my hands. And then I realize my hands are wet. I just washed my hands. Are you sure that you didn't eat a steak? And then you're like, oh, I'm going to just eat this steak. And then, and you just forgot, you know, because they're very similar experiences. It's the same. You're taking a piece of meat. You're putting it in your mouth. You're chewing. Those are not very distinct experiences. I mean, they're very yummy. And I, I would see how the second one would maybe be less delicious than the first because you're already kind of sated. But I could see still with all that wine, how maybe you wouldn't remember. I really don't think I could accidentally eat a 14 ounce ribeye, baked potato and vegetable. Okay. That's, that's kind of ridiculous. Not to mention probably a second side salad too. You know, I, I, I'm saying we didn't get the food. That's what I'm saying. We didn't get the food. So did you check the box that said where you order one and then one gets donated to needy children? Is that a, there's a box on the, on the menu. I mean, most people don't check that box, but maybe I, I didn't know that that's a thing. We encourage our servers to innovate in their, their charitable giving. And so maybe this is you something give, you guys worked out. Uh, I was not aware of. Let's see. Does it was the tip based that you gave based on the full amount that you say was higher than it should have been? Yes. The, the overpay amount. The tip was based on the overpay. Okay. Amount. So that makes a lot of sense that you would have appreciated the initiative of the server in innovating philanthropically, you know, assuming that's what happened. I'm just taking your word for it that you didn't actually eat two steaks. So clearly the second steak must have gone to needy children. And I really appreciate you being such a generous person. I'm about to play a card. I don't want to play. All right. I told myself I'm not going to play this card. The customer's always right. We were overcharged. If you're not going to make me whole, we're not going to come back here again. And we're going to leave a nasty review online. All right. That's what we're down to. What might have happened is that you paid a down payment for next time steak. Granted, the price might change. There's market price involved. I pre-ordered. I don't know what you and your server got up to. I mean, that was uh, Jody, I see. Jody no longer is with us. And what? Uh, we were here last night. Yeah, but this is during the day. She's no longer with us. She didn't stay <laughs> all night and then come you, back during you, the day. What do you say? No longer with us. That means fired or dead. I don't mean to say no longer with us because she hasn't clocked in yet. I mean, what do you say? It's your, it looks like not your children, here. Not here your today. children are no longer with you. They were with you last night, supposedly. How do we even know that? Maybe we should check the cameras to see how big your party actually was. Please, please. All right. So what pictures did you, you know, you showed me the one, but where's the one that shows the other four people? You don't even have that. You weren't even prepared. Because it doesn't exist. You were not thinking. What you got to keep in mind here is that this is a business. And if people are not satisfied fully then we will make them whole in a way that is customary, that is traditional. And what I have here is a, is a star sticker. And this says, I made a, a steak donation to needy children. I'm going to give you this and that's going to, you're going to be able to show that to everyone. In fact, would you like to make another donation right no. now to more needy children? I mean, they're really, they're so hungry these children they lack steak i mean really hey hungry kids here's a steak dinner i mean do you think that's too good for the hungry kids 
what kind of person do you think you are that, you know, that your steak is good for you, but not for hungry kids? Okay. Okay. No, this is, this is not enjoyable. All right. If you're not going to refund me, that's fine. But like I said, what we can do right now, I said we would make you whole. So Marco is going to hold you right there and we're going to feed you two steaks and two tortellini dinners right now. Force feed me like a, like a goose getting fattened. It will cost you a little extra for the, for the service, but I understood you prepaid. And even though it was supposed to be for hungry children, now you want it all for yourself. So you're going to have it right now. Who is out? We'll probably stop there. That sounds like a fine place to stop before the barfing begins. Yeah. And the criminal incriminations. (laughs) Yeah. The uh, kidnapping and unlawful detention. So I don't know. I felt like in the first scene, Mm -hmm. I was breaking my own rule, which is like trying to be funny in some way. But in this scene... I was breaking the rule that apparently you really like of not trying to be funny by goofing it up, by introducing some rascally elements as things proceeded. I don't know if if that involves rule breaking or not rule breaking. I think that's where the gray area and the asterisks and the uh, all those things come into play where I don't think your character thought they were being funny. You, the actor, understand that. (laughs) I don't know. After a while, the character was clearly amusing himself and i could not get help from snickering but <laughs> I, I certainly that's not yeah. audible i certainly believe you and again the more improv you do the more you realize that i understand the impact of this line and that it could probably be perceived as funny but my character will be delivering it straight and not trying to be funny there's some nuance in there there's some black magic in there and the really sharp actors really sharp players can be devastatingly hilarious without ever letting on that they're being funny. Like back to our prank phone calls, you know, it's like, can you stick with it? You know, can you not give up the game by laughing or snickering, you know, as it's going on? And like, are you being funny then when I'm being Sergeant Murphy from Fort Jackson, you know, telling people they never arrived for their ROTC, you know, enrollment, you know, I think I'm being deadly serious. This person could be like breaking a federal law, you know, so there's some wiggle room. I'm going to wiggle out of that one. I feel like I should (laughs) relay an anecdote of the most awesome phony phone call thing that I was involved with. I was a very young person and, and fr- I was at this friends of the family's house and the oldest one was a, some sort of young teen. And so he led us on this and we liked at that point to look through the phone book for silly names. Sure. And so, you know, I guess, I don't know if it was normally a prelude to phony phone calls, but it's like the menu for phony phone calls. Who are you going to call? If not your you know friend or whatever. And I believe we found someone by the name of Derwin Zook in the Chicago area. And we said, that is the most ridiculous name we've ever heard of. So my older friend of the family, almost a cousin, I would say, but not a cousin, called and, hey, this, hey, Derwin, this is Cletus, your nephew or whatever. And, you know, held the conversation with this Derwin Zook for a while and, and then handed the phone around. So, you know, here's Ellie Mae. I'll put Ellie Mae on. So all the, I think I got to talk to this person briefly. And for some reason, the person stuck with it and it's just like, it's your dime, kid. I don't know. Maybe he was amused <laughs> that somebody yeah, yeah. was uh, taking an interest in him. Maybe he was just a lonely individual. And so having kids taunt him, he, he wanted to, mm-hmm. but he wasn't engaged in the improv. He definitely didn't like, oh yeah, I remember when we were down on the farm eating hay. Yeah. And he gave you a lifetime memory. Yeah. It's just by being, being <laughs> Derwin Zook and not immediately hanging up. Yeah. By being your willing patsy, he allowed you all to have 
something you can still laugh about. What a true gentleman. I guess even though it might have been technically illegal what we were doing, I don't know if they just, if they, if they're okay with it. So does that work for all laws? Like if you want to steal something, just ask, Hey, is it okay if I just, and if the person at the counter is like, Oh yeah, go ahead. Then you're just like, cool. Thanks. Well, I think that's a wonderful gray area. And certainly like in our scene, this whole, I think a lot of transactional things, there is a lot of unwritten rules and codes of conduct and things that we all are doing in any of these little petty transactions or things. Or if a shopkeeper is like, I've pulled the whole like, Okay, it's five dollars and eight cents. And like, well, I got a five here and a twenty. Oh, don't don't worry about it. You know, they'll let me slide on the eight cents or whatever. Did I just steal, you know, or did this person steal from the business for letting me slide on eight pennies? I think there's a tremendous amount of social we all understand what the rules are supposed to be. There is no law that says the customer is always right, but it's something we all say. Yeah. Each business is their own little fiefdom. <laughs> and yeah. and clearly my character was a manager, felt there was enough power. It was only the rule of a frustration scene of I have to keep you on the hook. Yeah. That was the only reason I deviated from just being an obtuse asshole yeah. is to uh, being some different kind of asshole and introducing these other possible scenarios. Yeah. Because uh, it seems like you would have just gone away. I don't know. It seems like your character just would have realistically left gone away almost immediately. <laughs> Yeah, just left. I even threatened that a little bit and just mm-hmm. said, it's your last chance or I'm going to leave a, a negative review. You're being like a stickler for the what's on the receipt was a very fun thing. And like, how can I be a just a ridiculous stickler for what the receipt says? And how long can I keep that going? What are the ways I can say, oh, I see. Well, maybe the receipt is, is a mistake, you know? Let me see if there's a receipt for the receipt. You know, I don't, I'm just, you know, I'm literally just spitballing here. But this whole idea of like, that was a very fun idea to just be so married to a receipt and one of the ways that we could you got a good three to five minutes out of just being married to that receipt yeah was, i'm not sure if it was just another case of having a character be stupid <laughs> or whether it was really stubborn in a way but it seemed like it raised some sort of actual philosophical question of how do we know what the past is the receipt is the only record of the past sure it's not a very yeah, good it, philosophical question, but <laughs> what's well, interesting is all kinds of transactions that are un unreceded. Maybe we should be giving receipts, picking up your kids at school. You get a receipt for that, or uh, the school gets a receipt, or uh, have an argument with your wife and say, "Well, let's write everything down that we decided on. We'll email it to each other. <laughs> Here's a receipt, and uh, that would be useful at some points for sure. Because uh, there's one thing I've learned about, I would say women, but all people in general. They love it when you throw things in their face, (laughs) when you remind them of something (laughs) from the past that countermands their current argument. They love it. I feel like I'm seldom, if ever, in that position. (laughs) I'm joking, of course. (laughs) I'm very quick to doubt my own memory of things. (laughs) I thought we determined that, like, no, okay. Gaslighting yourself, probably wrong. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I probably did. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Yes, yes. Self-gaslighter. That's pretty pretty good. <laughs> All right. Well, let's review what our lessons were here. I started this thing about the law. Anything else you want to know? I think there's room for another discussion on that sometime in the future. But and we never got to what the ancients felt about laws or natural laws versus human laws. Hey, you hate to say it, but there are definitely people in the world who are law and order types. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it isn't about an understanding of how laws work. Many of the law and order types of people that I've met, it's not like, oh yeah, well, this is how this works. And this is a jurisprudence. It's, it's not about that. It's, 
I just want there to be right and wrong. I don't care what the right and wrong is. I just want a world where there's right and wrong and consequences for doing wrong. But it seems to follow from that. That's not necessarily being a law and order person that you want fairness, right, to exist in the world. And so if a law seems like it's not fair, then that shouldn't be the law or that isn't the law properly understood. Is that part of the law? I've met people, I think, who don't at their heart, at the deeply, deeply in their hearts, don't believe in fairness or don't care about fairness. They just want, tell me where I stand. Sure. Where do I go? Where do I do? And if someone doesn't do what they do, what happens? Great. Now, they would never say that. It comes out, the language comes out much more about other stuff, but I just feel like at their heart of hearts, they just don't care about laws and the whole principle, the principle of laws. And that's probably for another time. Of course, this is just a sloppy leftover from recent partially examined life discussions that people oh, can thanks, go and thanks. Check, check out. The, the, it's the just, doggy bag. It's what's from- <laughs> in my mind right now to, to hear yeah. what a fresh bill will have to say mm-hmm. about it. So I got another perspective on and thinking through this stuff from a different angle. Sure. So I, that will affect me. Now this whole, elaborate a little more, it seems like you've laid out pretty clearly, you know, there are improv rules, but it's okay to break the improv rules sometimes. Like I feel like, as I expressed, that I'm unfamiliar enough with the rules or or don't feel them in my bones such that I only know the patterns that we have fallen into Fair enough. Which we already had a recent discussion on how to break out of those. So it seems like it's only good to break out of those. So I'm not sure if either of these lessons, I don't know. Did you feel like either of them was particularly resonant <laughs> Resonant this time? <laughs> uh, I thought it was fun to explore. I, I, thought they actually, I did too. And yet again, they married in a way we couldn't mm-hmm. imagine. And I think that that is a truth of improv is that There will always be connections, you know, there will always be something and it's not that you need to bring anything in and we just, I randomly bring, say something, you randomly say something and look at us, now we got a a connection and all we have to do is highlight it, point at it, acknowledge it, and then we can do something with it. I think that's interesting. All right. I enjoyed. We we, we (laughs) don't have a judge bot, so I just don't even know. I don't even know how to decide. I feel like it's, this was just a null. They cancel each other out. So I've got a deck of cards right here. Uh, I thought about that. I was just looking for dice around me. Could, could, could be could be a red card, could be a black card. What do you think it's going to be? I'm going to draw a card at random. Which uh, do you want? Let's say uh, philosophy is black. Philosophy is black. It's Nine a red card. Six. Improv Seven one. Hearts. Improv I one today. I think that makes sense. That improv and then of would course, win if it's the chance. The camera pulls back and I have a whole deck of red cards. Ah! Yeah. Well, I sure learned uh-huh. how to be uh, fooled by you today, Bill. <laughs> and I learned quite a bit from you today, Mark. And, and scene. scene. Hope you enjoyed the show. Get more at philosophyimprov.com. If you want to support the show and not have to hear any more commercials and get our post-game segments, you can see options to do that at philosophyimprov.com slash support. Thanks. Bankrupt.